engaged. And so a big congratulations for her. And uh, excited for you guys. It's great. So looking forward to that. Uh, take your Bibles this morning and turn to Song of Solomon, chapter number 7. Song of Solomon, chapter number 7, as we get down to the last couple of messages uh, in Song of Solomon, our series entitled The Book of Love. Uh, how fitting that we're in the month of love in uh, February, uh, leaning into Valentine's Day. And so looking forward to that. Somebody asked me this morning, am I wearing my my Valentine's outfit today. And uh, I said, yes and no. I have to wear it this Sunday because next weekend it'll be Eagles green. Uh, next weekend, how fitting, how fitting. So I had to go ahead and wear the, uh, the red today. And uh, it's not for the Chiefs, I promise. It's not for that. It has nothing to do with that. Uh, but so uh, have you ever wanted something so bad that you couldn't wait for it? Uh, maybe it's an appointment that you've got, or maybe it's a day on your calendar, maybe it's a special event that's upcoming, uh, whether that's a wedding, or whether that's a, a birthday party, or whether that's uh, some kind of significant life event. Uh, maybe it was a purchase that you had saved up for, whether it's your first car, house, uh, boat, whatever, uh, whatever it is. Uh, maybe it's a meeting that you're looking forward to, an encounter with somebody that you ha haven't seen in a while. Maybe it's family, friends. Uh, but when we get to this series back in chapter number 7, uh, we see that the woman here has contemplated what life would be like with him for some time. Uh, all the while, all the way back to the very first chapter, uh, she daydreamed about him. Uh, she mentioned and thought about her future with this man who is speaking, the one who was consumed by her. Uh, he described her as one who was worth more than any other woman in the world. And he uh, valued her over and over. We'll talk about that in just a minute. He talked about her beauty and being the only one for him. And we talked about the fact that that's not how she saw herself. Uh, she saw and undervalued who she was in light of what he saw in her. But chapter 7, as we lean into this uh, brand new chapter, uh, gives us a very eye-opening description of how he sees her. And uh, let me just say, it's not what you would think. Okay, so we'll start right there. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down, uh, number one, his comparisons. His comparisons. We've seen this man describe this woman several times before. Remember in chapter number 1, uh, he said that you're better than a team of horses in Pharaoh's army. And uh, I hope that no man in here has tried that one uh, since we started this series back in October. Uh, that will not end well. Uh, let's just go ahead and say, uh, better, baby, you're better than horses. You look, you look at like a horse. Uh, that will not, especially leaning into Valentine's weekend, it will not lean, uh, work well for you. Uh, but the comparisons. Uh, he starts comparing her to things like he's done in the past, but he does it in kind of a different way. Uh, let's look at uh, the shoes that he mentions. Uh, Subpoint number one is the shoes. and uh, Let's read just verse number one. Uh, just this one verse, uh, just to kind of launch us into this text. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter number seven, verse one. How beautiful are thy feet with shoes, O princess daughter. The joints of thy thighs are like jewels, the work of the hands of a cunning workman. The shoes that he mentions. Uh, what is it about this woman's shoes that stand out. Let's pray and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much for the day that you've given us, the opportunity we have to, uh, to dive deep into your word and uh, see what you have for us. Uh, Lord, we see the context and we see that 
it is a man who is uh, talking about the love of his life and someone that he greatly desires to be with. Uh, Lord, we see how that she is talking about the love of her life. Uh, Lord, someone that she longs to be with and longs to uh, start a family with, which we'll see at the end of chapter 7. But Lord, we also see not just the context, but the comparison in the fact that this is a beautiful picture of the relationship that you desire to have with us. Uh, Lord, longing to be with us and help us as your bride to be a people who long to be with you. Lord, who long to bear spiritual fruit because of the relationship that we have with you. Lord, I ask that you please speak to our hearts. Please speak to my heart. And uh, Lord, help me to be clean as I preach your word this morning. Please cleanse me of any sin unconfessed in my heart and life. Uh, Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't have a relationship with you, help them to see that you are their greatest need. Uh, Lord, I ask that you please help us to draw close to you and help us to commit our lives at the same level of commitment that you have committed yourself to us. We love you and thank you for what you'll do in Jesus' name. Amen. What is it about her shoes that stand out? So much so that he doesn't just point out her feet. He points out the shoes that she's wearing. In verse number one, he says, How beautiful are thy feet with shoes. Now remember, we try and, we try and draw some similar cultural things to a text that we read from the Scripture. and We have to remember this is thousands of years ago and they had different references that we would today. Uh, remember that this is different in the fact that it's a different time period. Okay, so when we read this, you have to focus there. And he starts with her feet. But the emphasis is not on the feet, but on her shoes that she's wearing. Culturally, people who worked in the fields didn't have shoes, didn't wear shoes, uh, didn't have them, didn't wear them. Uh, most slaves didn't own them because of their social status. And remember in chapter 1 and verse number 6, she points out her status and says, Look not upon me because I am black, because the sun hath looked upon me. My mother's children were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but mine own vineyard have I not kept. She talks not about race, but about social status. And she talks about how she was, in her mind, nothing. And she talked about how that she was just a keeper of the field. She was just someone who worked in the garden. And she had evidently come to terms with the fact that she wanted to wear shoes and she wanted her feet to be clean because she said in chapter 5, in verse number 3, I have put off my coat, how shall I put it on? I have washed my feet, how shall I defile them? She had gotten used to living one way for her entire life, not wearing shoes as a slave, as a servant girl. And now that she had been given value and been given these shoes, she focuses on the fact that she wants to maintain what she's been given. She's more in tune now with how her feet were seen and he noticed. He paid attention. She saw herself as just a slave, and he called her a princess, and it all began at her feet. Remember, Paul gives us an interesting concept and explanation in Romans chapter 10 and verse number 15 when he says, How shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Why would Paul focus on the feet? Why would Solomon focus on the feet? Because as we mentioned last week, our feet give an indication of the direction of our lives. 
We talked about how our feet should be aimed in the right direction. And I wrote down in the notes this morning, feet that are pointed in the direction of following the Lord will always arrive where He's leading. Feet that are pointed in the direction of following the Lord will always arrive where He's leading. See, my head could be focused one way and say, well, I'm going to serve the Lord, but if my feet are pointed in another direction, I'm going to follow my feet. I'm going to follow the path and the direction of my feet. And he says, your feet stand out because not only have you placed value, you've kept them clean, but I like the direction that they're pointing. He talks about her shoes. And number two, he talks about her strength. Now, we might think about this next portion of text when he talks about her thighs and say, ah, you know, I know what he's talking. You're not. It's not what you might think. He's not being sensual here. He's being very practical here. Because a thigh in the Bible signifies strength. Not something sexual or not something immoral. He's talking about something that is strong. And if the shoes talk about the steps of a man, the thighs point to the strength of a man. Remember the story of Jacob in Genesis chapter 32 when Jacob thought that he could outsmart his family. He thought that he could out-wrestle the angel in chapter 32 of Genesis in verse 24. It says, And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And We know through other contexts of Scripture that he's actually wrestling this angel of the Lord, and we would say that that's Jesus. In the Old Testament, pre-incarnate image of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is wrestling Jesus in the flesh. And it says in verse number 25, And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he, the angel, touched the hollow of his thigh. His strong, his strength. He said, I'm going to put this guy's thigh, his hip out of joint. And it says, as he wrestled with him. Jacob thought that he was smarter, stronger, better. And God said, I'm going to touch the source of his strength. I'm going to take what he values and I'm going to diminish that. Revelation 19 and verse 15 says, And out of his mouth, talking about Jesus, going, goeth a sharp sword, that, it, uh, that with it he, might, he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh strength, a name written King of kings and Lord of lords. With, but with that being said, he's talking about how she was powerful. He was, she was powerful. Now remember, when we meet the woman in chapter 1, she was a servant. She was a slave. She was nothing. But ever since she met the shepherd, everything had changed. He had put shoes on her feet. He put a roof over her head. He put value in her life, all because of meeting him. Remember what David said in Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength. In whom I will trust. Uh, talking about Paul's inadequacies, uh, the Lord said in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 and verse 9, says, The Lord speaks and says, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. See, it's all about the Lord's strength. The strength that you and I have does not come from within, it comes from above. The strength that we have, well, you know, you, you just need to dig deep within yourself. Your strength is not from you. Your strength and my strength come from above. 
comes from the Lord. It comes from him. He even talks about her navel and her belly. And uh, Remember what Paul said, we talked about last week in Ephesians 6.14. says, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. You don't wear a belt around your forehead. You wear a belt around your waist, around your navel and your belly. Uh, he's talking about that she's strong. She's not someone who's easily swayed. He says, uh, talks about you wanteth not liquor. Hey, it's not talking about you know how to hold your liquor. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, hey, you're not led astray easily. You're someone who is confident. You're rooted. She's settled. She knows what she believes, why she believes it. She's not swayed by subtleties and charms. She's grounded. So the question comes, are we grounded? Are we someone who's easily swayed? Are we someone who is just up for whatever? Wherever the wind blows, that's the direction that we go. Colossians chapter 2, verse 7 and 8 says, Rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. How do you not get carried away and swayed by the philosophies of the world? You have to be rooted. You have to be rooted and built up, not in you, but rooted and built up in Him. We see the shoes that are mentioned. We see the strength that are mentioned. Uh, We see the similarities. In verse 3 through 5, he begins talking about her body, again as he's done before, but he compares parts of her body to places. He talks about Heshbon and Bathrabim and Lebanon and Carmel. If you study these places out, these are all real places that have significance and prominence in their society. Uh, These are places that were well known. He's going back and he's describing her compared to these places and saying that you are the best. Remember what he said in chapter 4 and verse 7. He said, thou art all fair, my love. Now, we talked about the fact that that's just not talking about you're just above average. Fair in this context means beautiful, good to look at. And he says, you're fair. He says it 16 times about her in the book of Song of Solomon. And he says, there is no spot in thee. As far as he was concerned, there was nothing in her that was a blemish. No spots, no issues. And it's how Jesus desires to present his bride. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 27, it says that he, Jesus, might present it, the bride, to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. You might say, well, pastor, you know, that, that's all well and good, but why is he doing all this? Why is he building her up like this? Why is he going on and on and on talking about all of this stuff? Because she needed to know how he felt about her. Say, Pastor, why is that significant to me? I mean, make it relatable to me. From time to time, you and I need to be reminded how he feels about you. Well, Pastor, you know, you don't know what I did this past week. You need to be reminded how he feels about you. Well, Pastor, you don't know the the situation that I have at home or my family life when I was growing up or what I did in college or uh, the things that I did or my name and my reputation's not good. You need to be reminded how he feels about you. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? You spend time with the Lord and you spend time with his people. 
Because at the end of the day, we're all a mess. We're all a mess. There are no perfect people in this church. And if you came into this church for the very first time or watching online, uh, you have not found a perfect place. You have found a place where we readily admit that this is not a perfect place. This is a place full of people with flaws. Full of people with a past. Full of people with failures in the past. Full of people with regrets in the past. From the preacher down with regrets. But the great thing about grace is it's always unmerited and always ongoing. And it extends beyond just us. It extends to every person who will receive him. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Not our goodness, but his. Not our love for us, but his. And we see John Owen said, The greatest sorrow and burden you can lay upon the Father, the greatest unkindness you can do to him, is not to believe that he loves you. He loves us, Augustine said, he loves us as if there were only one of us. See, he loves you more than you will ever be able to fathom. Pastor, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I said. You don't know what I did. You don't know how I grew up. and You don't know uh, my failures and flaws and imperfections. He loves you in spite of you. He loves you in spite of you. He loves you. And that will never change. Now, here's the thing. He doesn't love you for you to stay the way you are. He doesn't love you and say, well, you know what? I'm going to keep loving you right there. And if you never change, you never draw close to me. He will love you, but here's the thing. He will not be pleased and honored with your life. If you're not living to bring him glory, you're not living to make him the focal point of your life, there'll be a problem. There's a detriment. See, he loves you. Yes, that's awesome. But how do we love him? We love him because he first loved us. There should be a deepening love from myself where I say, I want to be more like him and I want to draw close to him and I I want my life to bring him glory because of that love that he has for us. The comparisons. But not only the comparisons that he mentions, we see number two, his contemplations. Uh, His contemplation. He talks about his personal desire and points out what it is that stands out to him. Look at her status in verse number six. He says, how fair and how pleasant art thou, O love for delights. Her status. He looks at every aspect of this woman and doesn't see a flaw. He says, you're fair, you're beautiful, you're pleasant, you're delightful to be around. And that's a sharp comparison to how we view ourselves, isn't it? Uh, We see, we look in the mirror and we start taking inventory of all of the things about us that we would change. You know, I, I look and say, man, uh, there's some gray in that beard and there's some gray in that hair. Man, I sure like to adjust for men and change all that up. Uh, some of you men I know what, exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but uh, we, we say, man, I've changed that. And, uh, man, I'd use some more skin moisturizer on my face, whereas there's not any wrinkles. And uh, maybe I would uh, change uh, my nose or my ears or uh, my smile or I would change these different features about my body. And uh, I would want to change those things. But we can go deeper than that and say, well, I 
look at my spiritual condition and say, you know, I, I don't read my Bible like I should, and I don't pray like I should, and I, I don't get involved like I should, and I'm not growing like I should. And there's all of these things that I would change about myself, but I have a loving Heavenly Father who looks down and says, I love you in spite of you. And says, I love you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. That word become is a gradual thing. Yes, there's an immediate change when we have Jesus in our lives and uh, we bow the knee and we accept him as our personal Savior. There is an immediate heart change, but the outside is a gradual change. The Bible word is sanctification. It's over time. He is little by little changing me to be like him. Little by little. Now, we do people a disservice when the very next week after someone receives Christ that we expect them to wear a three-piece suit and have a Bible under their arm and have the right haircut and uh, not have facial hair and all these different things. We do a disservice by conforming people to our image instead of asking the Lord to conform them to His image. See, I don't want people to be like me. I want people to be like Christ. And if I want people to be like Christ, then that means that I have to let Him do His work in that person's heart and life. Not let the Lord do my work in their heart and life. I want people to be like Him. Does He desire to us to change? Absolutely. But not in the way we would think. See, He's not trying to make us what we want. He's trying to make us what He wants. What is he want. Now, what does that look like? Romans chapter 8 verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. His desire for our lives is that we look like Jesus. And that's plain and simple. Because if I look like Jesus and my life reflects who he is, then I'm going to talk different, I'm going to look different, I'm going to act different, I'm going to be different, I'm going to love different, I'm going to respond differently because I'm like Christ. See, he looked down through the annals of time and saw when you and I would receive Christ as our personal Savior and said, you know what, when that person receives me, I already know what I want them to become. We're predestinated. His desire before we're even born is that we look like Jesus. We look like Him. See, you and I are the physical hands of Jesus today. We're the physical feet of Jesus today. But are you an accurate picture of what He would be today? So we see not only her status, we see number two, her stature in verse 7 and 8. He said, this thy stature is like a palm tree. Have you ever had somebody say to you, hey, stand up straight. Don't slouch. He talks about her stature being like a palm tree. And guys, let me just say, don't tell your wife that she looks like a tree. That will not go well. You look just like a tree, honey. You're doing good. look just like a tree. It's not going to go well. But when you think about the mountains of Virginia, we, we see some pine trees and different things that snap and all those different things. But think about going to the beach. Think about a palm tree. Not a pine tree, but a palm tree. Now, when you think about a palm tree... You see a lot of them standing. You don't see very many knocked down. Even in hurricane force winds, they don't fall down very easily. 
I've been to the beach and I've been at different places where they have trees and they've had them staked around with different types of anchor points. Whether it's, uh, it, whether it's either bungee straps or it's uh, these uh, type of ratchet straps or whatever it is, there's different anchor points holding these things down, wooden frames around these trees trying to give them, them additional support. And we might think, well, you know, big deal. Psalm 1-3 says, And he, the person who loves the Lord and is in love with his word, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. He's talking about the ability to stand strong in the day of adversity, in the day of battle. She would still be standing. Because she was like a tree. She wouldn't crumble. She wouldn't fall. She would stand strong. Proverbs chapter 24 and verse number 10. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. We talked last week, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you a whole armor of God, that ye may be able to stand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Are you standing today? Are you leaning today? See, are you a tree that's firmly planted and not falling over? See, trees that lean one direction typically fall in that direction. Trees that lean in one direction typically fall in that direction. Are you struggling in an area of your life and you're leaning? Are you battling a temptation or a trial and you're already leaning? Be careful because trees that lean in one direction typically fall in that direction. Maybe it's a secret sin that no one knows about. Maybe it's a relationship that's out of bounds. If you're leaning in a direction, be careful because trees that lean in that direction typically fall in that direction. How do people walk away from their marriage of years and years and years because they're leaning in a direction? How do people walk away from children? How do children walk away from their parents because they're already leaning in one direction? How do people fall out of church? Man, I just don't, I don't even know why I went there. And you talk to a bunch of used to people. I used to go to church. I used to be a Christian. I used to read my Bible. I used to do all that stuff. Trees that are leaning in one direction typically fall in that direction. See, it's time for us to be the anchor point. It's time for us to provide that anchor for people that we know and love. I want to try and illustrate that this morning. And I, I want to ask Brother John to come up and help me. And this is going to be really unique and awkward and a little different. But I'm going to have him just kind of stand right here, brother. And uh, yeah, exactly. You're so excited. I'm glad you're my friend. Uh, why don't you stand a little bit further up right there. Okay. All right. Uh, let me get uh, Brother Mike. You and Kevin come help me for just a minute. And uh, Chance, you come up and help me. And uh, let me see. Jordan's already like, nope, I'm out of here. Uh, so uh, <laughs> Donnie, you come up and help me for just a minute, if you will. All right. Now, here's, here's what I want to do, all right? Uh, let's just imagine that Brother John is that tree, all right? Uh, Brother John is a tree. He is a believer, loves Jesus, yes? Okay, good. All right, just making sure nothing's changed. All right, so Brother John loves Jesus, loves his family, says, hey, I, I want to honor the Lord, but here's the problem. Winds blow all around. And see, I can, I can push John fairly easily, all right? Uh, even though he's a strong guy, you know, he doesn't have anything anchoring him. He doesn't have anything holding him in place. All right? 
Uh, so what we're going to do is try and provide him some anchor points. Brother John says, you know what, I, I recognize that there are winds all around me. Uh, whether, it's, whether it's spiritual, whether it's emotional, whether it's financial, whether it's marital, I understand there are winds. And we have an enemy, church, uh, that would love to knock us down one by one. One by one. Say, well, pastor, he's after you. He's after you too. And he's, he's not picky. If, you're, if you say that I'm a child of God, he's after you. Plain and simple. You've got a target on your back. So Brother John says, you know what? I, I need some anchor points in my life. And uh, Mike, I want you to come right here, and I want you to grab John around the waist. But now, now here, hey, now you're an anchor point, brother. Yes, yeah, you got to grab him, grab him, okay? All right. All right, Donnie, Donnie, you get a leg right there, down there. All right. Kevin, you get a leg right down there on the bottom. All right. Chance, you're the anchor point on the other side like Mike. So, Mike, you'll have to swing this way a little bit. Okay. And Chance, get in there, brother. All right. Okay. All right. Now, what we've seen is Brother John is not just standing by himself now. He has anchor points. And he's not going anywhere. All right. Oh, we're getting ready to find out. Okay. All right. So, let's, let's just say for, for illustration's sake, uh, Donnie is the Word of God. All right, and he says, "Hey, I, I'm rooted and grounded deep in the Word of God, and I'm going to spend." John says, "I'm going to spend time in the Word, and I'm going to dive deep, and I'm going to make sure that my life is rooted and grounded in Him." And let's just say, Kevin, get used to the floor, brother. You're going to be there in a minute. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's just say, Kevin is my brothers and sisters in Christ. And hey, I, I'm going to make sure that I have brothers and sisters in Christ in my life at my church. And I'm going to stay uh, closely connected to others because I know how important the fellowship and the body of Christ is to my daily life. And let's just say Mike. Mike is a pretty big guy. All right. So let's just say for illustration's sake uh, that Mike is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is close to him, and the Holy Spirit is leaning in saying, you can do it. You can stand strong. You don't have to give in. Uh, you don't have to give in to the pressure and all of the external forces of the world. And Chance over here, Chance is my friend, all right? Uh, so let's just say that Chance is his family, all right? So Chance is family, all right? So you've got the Word of God. You've got the Church of God. You've got the Holy Spirit of God, and you've got John's physical family, and they're all anchoring him together. All right. Hey, you can do it. You don't have to give up. The Bible tells us, hey, you can be rooted and built up in Him. There are brothers and sisters in Christ around us that say, hey, don't give up. Uh, the time is running short. Uh, there's too much at stake to give in. The Holy Spirit is saying, hey, God's on your side, and Jesus loves you and values you and will be here for you and always faithful to you. His family, his wife, and his kids are saying, hey, Dad, we love you, and we support you, and we're proud of you. We don't want you to give up or give in or uh, give out. We want to be here for you. Now, here's the thing. All of this is well and good, and things are going great until the wind comes. Because that's when the test comes. All right, Boogie, come here. All right, now remember, a minute ago, it was easy. It was easy to move him. It was easy to push him over. Yeah, yeah that's right. All right, now Boogie, you saw right there. No. Okay. All right, Boogie, just come right up here, man. Uh, you know, Come from this side over here, Boogie. All right. Now, I, I, all I want to do, remember, before he had, he had no support, he was easy to push around, knock around, whatever. All right. Now he's anchor points. He's anchored. All right. Boogie gets to be the wind. Okay. All right. Boogie, you can push on him as much as you want to. 
All right. Boogie, come on this side. Try this way. All right. Come on, Boogie. All right. Come on, Boogie. Are you pushing yet, Boogie? All right. Now, hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Jesse, come here. Jesse, come here. Yeah. Jesse, come here. All right. We're, we're going somewhere. Hang with me. Hang with me. All right. Boogie. Boogie, you get behind, or I'm sorry, Jesse, get behind Boogie, and you push Boogie while Boogie is pushing John. Okay? All right? All right, here we go. Ready? Go. All right, don't hurt John. Now, look. All right, now stop. Stop just for a second. Now, you notice, you notice, hey, they still got him, and they're sweating. Mike is sweating something off. But look, we're going somewhere. Hey, the wind was tough. But now he's got a couple different things coming against him. And isn't that how life is sometimes? It's not just one thing. It's a couple things at the same time. And here's the thing. John moved that foot right there. Donnie, slacking off, man. No, it's all good. All right, Donnie's sweating too. But here's the thing. John moved a little bit. But he's still where he started. He wasn't blown. He didn't fall. He didn't get off course. He's still where he started. And when we have anchor points in our life, we do it one more time. All right? One more time. You guys come from this side and see if Kevin's anchor point is as strong. Okay? All right? One more time. Here we go. Here we go. All right. You're good. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you all for your help. Let's give him a hand for helping. Thanks, Jesse. John will need a chiropractor card uh, after the service this morning. But you see what we're saying? Hey, when you don't have anchor points, it's easy for the wind to just blow in, and it doesn't even take a big wind. When you don't have anchor points, when you're not anchored deep, you have nothing holding you. Well, pastor, I'm strong. I can handle it. No, you can't. You're not prepared. See, you need the Word of God. You need the people of God. You need a strong family around you. You need the Holy Spirit leaning in saying, you can stand. Because if you don't have those things, you will fall. You will fall. It's a fact of life. You will fall. Why does God tell us? Why does He give us the Word of God and the people of God? Why does He have all these things? It's so that we can stand strong and tall in the storm as a testimony of His faithfulness to you. Every one of those things, as anchor points, God provides. God provides. He's given us the Word of God. He's given us the people of God. He's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's given us a family who loves us, cares for us, is concerned about us. And if you don't have those things, you will fall. You will fall. We see that her speech comes up in verse number 9. It says, In the roof of thy mouth like the best wine for my beloved that goeth down sweetly, causing the lips of those that are asleep to speak. Both of them speaking here. He speaks in the first part and then she speaks and he compares her lips to an intoxicating beverage. She responds in the second half of the verse and agrees. 
She talks about the importance of the speech, the power of our speech. And we need to be careful not only what we listen to, but also the power of our words. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse number 21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. James 3.8, But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Proverbs 12, 18. There is that speaketh like the piercings of a sword, but the tongue of the wise is health. Our words can build up or tear down. But what does your speech do? What does your speech say about you? Not only the comparison, not only the contemplation. Lastly, we see her consistency. Look at verse number 10. She begins speaking in verse number 9, but continues through the rest of the chapter. And she Talks about her love in verse number 10. Her love. Many believe that Solomon is the one who's speaking here. And he's trying to woo this girl into his harem. Not the shepherd that she is in love with. But she's speaking about the shepherd. And over and over he says, hey, this is how I see you. This is how, and in graphic detail, this is how I view you. And what does she say in verse 10? I am my beloved's. And his desire is toward me. You know what she's saying? I'm not for sale. You know what the people of God need to tell the world? We're not for sale. We're not for sale. We have a price. And Jesus already paid it. We belong to him. We're not for sale. She's spoken for. She's promised to her shepherd. She's not interested in anything else that he has to say. Her heart belongs to the shepherd. And guess what? The shepherd's heart belongs to her. I am my beloved's, and his desire is towards me. We already mentioned 1 John 4, 19. We love him because he first loved us. C.H. Spurgeon said, God soon turns from his wrath, but he never turns from his love. Soon turns from his wrath, but never turns from his love. Are you as committed to him as he is to you? We see her love, but number two, we see her longing. Verse 11 through 13, she talks about her longing has a purpose, and it's twofold. She says, number one, I long to be with him. I long to be with him. For the first time, she tells that she's willing to run away with him. Verse 11, she says, come, my beloved, let us go forth into the field. Let us lodge in the villages. Let us get up early to the vineyards. Hey, she says for the very first time in seven chapters, I'm willing to go right now. Now, think about this. How do you think that makes the shepherd feel? Hearing, man, she's ready to go right now. Let's go. Did you ever hear somebody that you love say, hey, let, we don't have to wait a couple days. Let's just go right now. There's something that's exciting within you that says, hey, let's cancel everything else. Let's just leave. How do you think it makes Jesus' heart feel when we say, hey, Lord, you don't have to wait. You don't have to wait any longer. We're ready to go right now. Remember John said that in John chapter number 22. He said, even so quickly, come, Lord Jesus. Hey, you don't have to wait. There's nothing else. You can come right now. How does it make our shepherd feel when we say, hey, Lord, we long to be with you? Man, I I can't wait to be reunited with you. Uh, David Platt said, choosing the cross over comfort is a requirement of following Christ. Luke 14, 27, whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. I wonder how many believers have that on-again, off-again relationship with Jesus. Where sometimes they're faithful, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're in, sometimes they're out. Her longing is to be with him. And then lastly, we see she doesn't just long to be with him. She longs to bear his children. Look at verse number 12. 
Let us get up early to the vineyards. Let us see if the vine flourish, whether the tender grape appear and the pomegranates bud forth. There will I give thee my loves. The mandrakes give a smell, and our gates are all manner of pleasant fruits, new and old, which I have laid up for thee, O my beloved. She doesn't just long to be with him. She says, man, I long to bear your children. She says, I want to. In, Christian, in Christianity, we call that bearing fruit. Bearing fruit. What is the, uh, the fruit of another Christian? What is the fruit of a Christian? It's another Christian. We're called to be disciples. And she tells him that she's willing to have his children. Mandrakes, in verse number 13, they were an aphrodisiac. It was meant to increase the chance of conception. You know what she's saying here? I'm serious. I'm serious. You know, for us, are we serious about producing disciples? See, we can talk about it all we want to. Say, yeah, man, I, I, Pastor, I want more people to come to Christ. And I want people to follow Him. And I, I want people to, uh, to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus. I want that. But what are you doing to make it happen? What are you doing to produce another you? Oswald Sanders said, Disciples are not manufactured wholesale. They are produced only one by one because someone has taken the pains to disciple, to instruct and enlighten, to nurture and train one that is younger. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Do you have any fruit in your life? And do you have anybody that you can point to and say, that person is a believer because of my burden for them? That person is growing in Christ because I have a burden to see them discipled. And discipleship doesn't work if you're a sponge and you just take it all in without getting wrung out. Discipleship doesn't work if you say, well, I got all my knowledge. And you're not willing to share that knowledge with someone else. See, chapter 7 begins with a man talking about his love for a woman and it ends with a woman professing her love and commitment to her shepherd. Why is that significant? Because Jesus has already professed his love for you and for me, but will we profess our commitment and love for him? See, today is the day of decision. It's not about what's going to happen next week or the week after or next year. It's not about a New Year's resolution. It's about a change of heart and life. Are you someone who is replicating yourself? Are you a disciple, number one? Are you a committed follower? You say, hey, I want to be a disciple and I want to replicate a disciple. I want to make sure that I am bearing his children, that I am bringing forth disciples from me. You know, in our lives today, we're called to commitment. Are you committed to him? Like he is to you. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. If you're here this morning or watching him online. And you're not sure that Jesus is your savior. You don't have that moment in your life that you can point to and say. Hey I I know that Jesus is my savior. I know there's been a time in my life when I've trusted the Lord as my personal savior. Maybe that day is today for you. Maybe you're here or watching online and you say, Pastor, I, I don't know that for myself. I, I don't know that if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. I'm not sure that Jesus is my personal Savior, but I'm at least concerned enough about it that I would ask you to pray for me. See, salvation is really very basic. It comes down to three simple truths. You know that you're a sinner, and you have to admit that you are a sinner in the sight of a holy God. You have to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin. 
He died as your substitute. He died in your place. And then you simply call and ask him to apply what he did on the cross to your life. That's salvation. You're trusting in something that you can't see. It requires faith. It's not faith in a magical, mystical prayer. It's not faith in a preacher. It's not faith in something else. It's trusting what God has said and a promise that he made can apply to you. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I've, I don't know that I've ever done that. I don't know that I've ever uh, asked Jesus to save me. Hey, can I pray for you today? I don't want to embarrass you. I won't call you down. I won't uh, come and send somebody to talk to you after the service. I just simply want to know who I'm praying for today. In a crowd this size, it's very likely that someone would say, I don't know Jesus is my personal Savior. Can I pray for you? Can I be your friend this morning? And with no one looking around, we ask people to bow their head and close their eyes so it's not embarrassing but would you simply say, Pastor, that, that's me. I, I just don't know. I don't know that if I died, I'd be on my way to heaven. I'm not sure. I don't have that confidence. I'm not sure that I've ever accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. While no one's looking around, would you simply slip up your hand long enough for me to see it and put it right back down? I just want to know that who I'm praying for today. Pastor, I'm not sure. Please pray for me. Is that you? Is that you? I don't want to miss you, but I do want to pray for you. Pastor, I'm not sure. Please pray for me. Please pray for me. I'm not sure, Pastor. That's me. Pray for me. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I, I know exactly what you said. I'm not as committed to him as I should be. Whether it's in my devotional life, my prayer life, my walk with him, uh, whether it's uh, the, the next steps that I need to take for him, I know that I'm not as committed as I should be. Hey, God is speaking to hearts, but are we responding to him speaking? That's the question. He wants to draw you close to him. He wants to be close to you, but do you want to be close to him. As we get ready for our time of invitation and reflection, we're going to pray and then uh, we're going to sing here in just a moment. But would you simply take a moment and talk to God about what he's talking to you about? Our altar will be open in just a minute if you'd like to come and pray and we'll have personal workers down front that would love to talk to you, pray with you about any spiritual needs you may have and try and be a help to you. Answer any question you might have this morning. We're here for you. We want to minister to you. But do you want to draw close to him? Father, please bless this time of invitation. And Lord, I ask that you please help us to search within our own hearts and ask ourselves if we want to draw close to you. You desire a relationship with us. Lord, help us to see that what we can have with you is far better than what we could have on our own. Lord, I ask that you please do a work in our hearts and please speak to us. If there's someone here today that doesn't know you as our personal Savior, someone watching online, help them to speak to you this morning and get that settled. Lord, not leave not be able to rest until that is taken care of. We love you and thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.